This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 25th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk, and I hope you're all ready for Thanksgiving, just a few days away. So we're going to have a kind of shortened week this week in the markets. I know markets are open on Friday, but usually not much happens on that. Uh, it's a half day on Friday. So we have about a three-day week in the markets, uh, but there's always variables at play. And over the weekend, we had the Hong Kong elections, and that was an interesting uh, result. Some may have liked it. I think most uh, most did. But we're going to talk about that and many other topics on the show today. And I hope you're here for unbiased guidance, because that's what we are here to give you. I'm Justin Klein, and thank you for joining me today. I hope you will call me with your investing questions, and when and if you make time for that call, you can take charge of this program each and every weekday. You can shape it to your own particular advantage and bring up topics and companies and ideas that are of interest to you and can assist you in making better decisions about your money, your investments, etc., Now, we're going to do this each and every weekday with philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. This isn't CNBC. I am not Jim Cramer once again. Now, in this hour, I'm going to do my very best to answer all of those questions that you have, listener line questions, as well as live questions at 888-99-CHART. Now, in case you haven't heard yet, Steve Pizzo will be returning to San Jose on December 5th, just a couple weeks away. So, he's going to be sitting down with listeners and clients for no-cost portfolio review consultations. He has, I believe, one or two spots remaining. So hopefully Steve will be able to help our listeners, our clients even further, fine-tune their portfolio for the start of the new year. Just coming up a few weeks away, right? It's about six weeks from now is the start of the new year. So you can learn more and register at investtalk.com. Now, my main talking point today concerns the USMCA. This is the innovative name of the US-Mexico-Canada Agreement, and it's an update to NAFTA. And there's the CEO of 3M, which is one of the largest industrial companies in the world, and especially here in North America. He's gonna, we're going to break down that story and his insistence of why it's important for the future. I think that'll be interesting to see what the differences are between NAFTA and USMCA. Not a whole lot, but certainly there are some. Also, preventing fraud. We're going to touch on that new Malcolm Gladwell book. Also, the inventor of the internet has a new bill of rights for the internet that he wants to roll out. And this smacks directly at some of the large fang companies, big tech companies, Silicon Valley in general, and what it means to be an internet user and potential changes that can be widespread and have lasting impact on all of our lives and the companies that we interact with almost on a daily basis, you know, the Googles, Facebooks, Apples of the world. And I think that'll be interesting to discuss. And then also affordability when it comes to home ownership is 
struggling right now, right? It's expensive to own a home in almost any region, but we also are entering a time over the next 15, 20 years where baby boomers are retiring at an increasing rate and a lot of them are downsizing. And unfortunately, the older baby boomers are going to be passing and they're going to be homes to be lived in, right? And so there's going to be a flood of homes from those boomers once they start to retire, pass away, etc. And that's going to have a lasting impact on the housing market. But we're going to talk about which areas of the house, the national housing market are going to be impacted the most over that time frame. So we're going to talk about that as well. That's our main talking point. So those are things that are on my mind. But ultimately, I want to hear what is on your mind today. Now let's take a quick look at the market. You had a pretty solid up day. The S&P was up, what, about 1.5% or so? Is that what it was? It was that much, 0.7%? Yeah, about 0.7%, I'm sorry. Uh, the small caps were up about 2%. So uh, after, after underperforming for a while, you had a surge. And a lot of that had to do with uh, intellectual property, right, um, Maybe a little give by the Chinese government saying that they're going to crack down on intellectual property. Now, intellectual property theft, excuse me. And that is a big contentious point in these trade agreements is intellectual property theft. And that's something that President Trump and his administration have been strong on in trying to limit. Now, will they fall through on their promises? They haven't really put anything down in in writing yet, but it sounds like they're giving some on that side. So once again, more hope on a trade deal, whether that comes to fruition. You know, I still think it's next year. Maybe they get it done by the end of the year before the the December tariffs. Remember, December 15th is when the tariffs on wide, a much wider swath of especially electronics are going to be subject to these increasing tariffs and that is something i think both sides want to avoid and if we're going to get one this year i think it will to be to avoid those tariffs so uh it's more optimism around that you had some m a activity with schwab and td ameritrade combining and i think that's an interesting story as well especially since we're in the industry we use td ameritrade for our clients That'll be interesting, uh, so something we can talk about. So a lot on the docket today, but ultimately I want to hear from you. So give me a call, 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question right now. So let's kick it off with a caller that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Good morning, gentlemen. This is Khalil from Brooklyn, New York. Just had a question on Roku stock. Uh, I've been watching it for the past couple weeks, and earnings came out. It was pretty decent but the stock still went down about 16 15%. But it's been going up lately, and I just wanted to know your opinion. Uh, looking at the statements myself, doesn't look too bad, but I would love to get your opinion. Love the show, and thank you. All right, this is Roku. This is a, a, one of those high-flying growth stocks, about an $18 billion market cap, and trailing 12 months, they've done about a billion dollars in revenue. So about trading at 18 times sales, fairly expensive, but it is a tech stock. So a lot of them can trade at some premiums. 
And really, this is a platform play, right? The install base of Roku devices is in the millions. I'm not sure the exact amount, but they have a lot out there. I know I have a Roku stick. And this is really that's what this is about. It's a platform play saying that uh, you know other companies are going to pay to be on their platform. They have a lot of users that they can roll out more content on their Roku channel, a Roku channel on their uh, platform as well. But it's a company that doesn't make money. It hasn't made money. It doesn't seem like it's going to make more money. In fact, in 2018, they only lost eight cents. This year, they're supposed to lose 52 cents and 46 cents next year. So I'm not seeing anything from a financial standpoint that's saying that this is scaling. Uh, and you have the likes of of Apple with Apple TV. Um, you have. Disney, while that's going to need some sort of platform, it can operate on almost any other platform besides Roku. So I'm, I don't love their competitive position in the marketplace, and I don't love their financials either. Uh, right? Their their EBIT is still negative. Their net income still negative. Their return on equity is still negative ten percent, and growing fifty percent in revenue year over year. That's nice, but none of this growth is translating into earnings. And that's what worries me. And technically, it has rallied back close to its highs in September, kind of when you had the growth versus value switch, right, in early September. And that's when Roku sold off pretty dramatically from 175 all the way to $100 a share. So that was a pretty big drop in the span of three or four weeks. Now we're at 158 Technically, you know, it's still okay, kind of more in the in the not 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 negative, not positive, kind of in the middle. I don't love it either way, so I'm not a fan of Roku, especially based on the financials. They're pretty tough. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday. Broadcast streamed live in the four o'clock hour Pacific time. And whenever you have an investment question, I encourage you to contact myself or Steve Peasley at K- the KP Financial Office in Irvine, California, or you can explore our podcast library. You can search, listen, and subscribe. And please take a second to rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888 chart Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. So you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, the two-year Treasury came in at one point six two percent. The ten-year at one point seven. At the close today, down a little bit, which was interesting. You know, you had the markets, equity markets rally, but the bond market didn't have a corresponding move. You know, typically when equities are strong, you have a sell off in the bond market as people take money off the table on safer assets and allocate them more to risk on assets like equities. So, I know we've had a recent surge on the market over the past two or three weeks, but it's not showing up in the bond market, which I think is interesting as well. 
Gold was down a little bit, 1462 an ounce, still kind of that controlled pullback after being very overbought in the summer time. Bitcoin was down down I think. Let's get a let's get a an updated price on this cuz there is I got a crypto wat.ch it's uh, the best place to find live quotes on Bitcoin. 7100 on Bitcoin right now. So down about 22% over the last month, 12% over the last week. So very, very weak uh, when it comes to the crypto market. I said this uh, on Bitcoin. If it broke the 9,000 mark, that put it from a bullish setup to more neutral. And that neutral is starting to turn more into bearish on the crypto market. And oftentimes you see that market drop before you see a larger pullback in the stock market. So I think that is something to continue to watch. Oil was holding steady $57 a barrel. A little bit more positive as there's more expectation of stronger economic growth because of uh, higher stock prices. And that's a, that, that's a strength, uh, 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 the best indication economically that the market is giving me that maybe this turn in ISM numbers in Europe and across the world while not strong, mean, are, are actually going to be long-lasting. I think that'll be interesting to follow. Now, there's a very positive story for investors that have held two high-profile pro tech names all year. That's Apple and Microsoft. About scale, Microsoft is up 47% this year, Apple up 66%, and combined, they're $2.3 trillion market cap. And that's also bigger than the entire Russell 2000, so very, very big heavyweights there, and it's just showing you that the strength that their network has had, and you know, Apple is focused on the consumer, and they've done very, very good, very, very good when it comes to marketing and developing products for the consumer, and Microsoft's the opposite. They've, with uh, their, since Balmer has left, they've really transitioned to being fabulous business providers, business software providers, and that's what's driven them to new heights. So you can succeed in different areas of the same marketplace. I'm Justin Klein, and you're listening to Invest Talk. I want to hear from you. Give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Thanksgiving will be here soon and Christmas will follow quickly. But in between these holidays, you'll have one more chance in 2019 to sit down in person with Steve Peasley so Steve can evaluate your asset portfolio and then show you how to optimize its performance. Steve Peasley will return to San Jose on Thursday, December 5th. Learn more and register now at investtalk.com. This is Junior in Indiana. I work for Gannett Simple GCI, which just merged with another media company, Gatehouse. We're all but certain even more layoffs and buyouts are coming. I dumped all my 401k stock in January at about 12 bucks after you guys recommended I do so. So a big, big thank you. My question is going forward. I have colleagues who are still sitting on some of their retirement accounts. Should they get out now or if they have a long-term horizon, just write it out and look for a good exit point months or even years from now. Thanks a lot. 
Well, if you're getting bought out, then I don't know if that is based on cash or, or equity, right? Uh, because, and sometimes it's a mix of both. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to really, really gauge uh, exactly uh, what, what each of your employees should do because I don't know how old they are. I don't know if they plan to, are they going to work for the new uh, company, what percentage of the overall portfolio it is. It's a very hard thing for, for me to, to really, really give advice on without more context. Um, now, Gannett looks like it's fallen pretty dramatically, right? Around $6 a share now was at in the high teens in earlier this year. So not doing very well and is trending poorly. So I would say my default would be get out, move on, find something that's working better uh, and go from there. But it's hard for me to give general advice for a lot of people that have varying ages, goals uh, and desires. So, But thanks for the call. My main talking point today concerns the state of the USMCA and this is the new NAFTA, right? And the, the idea is to continue the innovative spirit that NAFTA created, right? It combines supply chains of both Canada and Mexico here with the United States. And that made our manufacturing more competitive worldwide, right? Because our products that we produce for the rest of the world tend to be high value. We're not making small little trinkets, but sometimes you need small little trinkets that go into more high-value products. And that's where other countries like Mexico came in and produced a lot of these low-value products that go into our own products that we export. So it certainly helped our competitiveness by allowing free trade between a low-cost region like Mexico and us here in the United States. Now, the CEO of 3M has come out and basically said, we need to get this deal done. And the reason is because, first off, Mexico and Canada purchased one-fifth of U.S. manufacturing output, 20%. So if there's not any follow-through on this, and this falls by the wayside, then you're putting in jeopardy 20% immediately of the output and then increasing the cost of the other output that we produce for the rest of the world. And in 3M's home state of Minnesota, they export $7.2 billion annually just to Canada and Mexico. And that creates more than 300,000 jobs across the state. That's just one small example. So while these trade deals are important to get right for our country, they're important to just get done in general. And I think Trump isn't wrong on trying to create better deals. It's just a matter of how far do you push? How far are you willing to go? How much damage are you willing to create in order to get a better long-term deal? And I think when it comes to Mexico and Canada, it's a lot easier to figure out. Our relationship is more symbiotic. 
they're our natural allies because they're both democracies. We've been dealing with them for a long time and we don't want to get in any wars or problems with the com- a con- countries that are at our border. Whereas China, there's a lot more contentiousness. A lot more at stake, if I'm being honest. And so it's an interesting that the CEO of 3M is coming out and really hammering home the importance of this deal. But I think that can be said for the China trade deal as well. And not just for 3M, but all of our major American manufacturers. Now on the next Invest Talk, one prominent Wall Street analyst predicts that 2020 could see retail investors shifting away from buying bond funds equity funds. The last time that was visible was in 2013, six years ago. That story tomorrow that Steve will get to, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. The time is now, and if you act now, the benefit to your financial future could be measurably significant. This is your chance to sharpen your investing skills through a valuable online classroom learning opportunity. InvestTalk Academy. Enrollment in InvestTalk Academy will introduce you to a weekly series of live investing classes conducted by KPP Financial Principals and InvestTalk hosts, Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. You'll profit from a critical degree of focused mentoring led by Steve and Justin. Hear their full analysis of the market. Follow along with charts and data points. Understand technical and fundamental analysis. Develop the mindset to become a successful investor. InvestTalk Academy offers an unprecedented value for serious investors. Register now at InvestTalkAcademy.com. This is InvestTalk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Jacqueline in San Francisco looking at Middleby Corporation, correct? Correct. Okay, and you're looking to buy it or you hold it now? And everything, and I don't know if I should hold it or just get rid of it. Because of the hurricanes, you're saying? Yes, I just, you know, so many homes were lost and I thought they'd had to replace their kitchen appliances. Well, that that's certainly going to boost demand maybe short term in some way. I'm not sure what type of exposure they have to those regions, uh, but that certainly wouldn't be a, re- a reason why I would buy a company uh, like this. Uh, now, Middleby does have very strong cash flows. Free cash flow continues to go uh, up and up almost every year. Their return on equity averages in the high teens, right around the 20% range, which is very, very solid. This is actually a company I looked at last week, uh, updating our, our watch list for industrial names. This is this was in that mix because of that consistent profitability, and I like that. Now, what I worried about, however, was 
the recent slowdown. A year ago, revenue was growing 20%, earnings were going 21%, and last quarter, revenue grew only 1% and earnings only 4%. No dividend, which Mm -hmm. I'm fine with because of the positive cash flow. And I believe, aren't they buying back stock? No, actually, yeah, they... uh, yeah, they're buying back stock, but not in a dramatic fashion. They're not really issuing or uh, issuing stock either. So kind of staying flat. Um, but it's a very strong company when it comes to cash flows, and I like that. But the chart, however, has been just been going sideways for three, four years now. Right, This hit $130 or so back in September of 2015, and now we're at 115 So it's just been chopping sideways and a time when the market's gone higher, and that worries me a little bit. So I like what you're looking at, uh, the fact that it's a company that produces strong cash flows and has strong profitability metrics, uh, but I certainly wouldn't buy it simply because of some hurricane and the fact that people are going to buy new appliances. That's great, and that's it's, it's a nice little boost in the short term, but you want companies that have staying power long term, and not this this doesn't, but... I just don't like the the overall trends in the business that that the growth is slowing and the chart is just kind of eh. I would need this to to really break out to the upside and have a more long lasting catalyst. Uh, and so I kind of give it a so so. I didn't put it in my top five. Uh, I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. Thanks for the call, Jacqueline. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about twenty minutes left, so if you're gonna call. You want to do it sooner rather than later. Let's talk a little about the silver tsunami. I think this is a very interesting topic right now, especially as I've said before, there are 10,000 baby boomers retiring each and every day. And we're going, about five years, we're actually going to pass the peak of housing demand in this country, meaning the number of households created is actually going to decline each year on net, right? So you're going to have more baby boomers either maybe moving in with a family member or unfortunately passing away. And those numbers are going to outpace the number of households that are created from the millennial generation, generation Z, etc. That's going to come down the line here on the next five or 10 years. Now, like I said, baby boomers have already started to retire and some will be passing away in large numbers in the coming decade. And that's going to release a flood of currently owner-occupied single-family residences and condos that will hit the market over the next 20 or 30 years. Now, currently, 34% of owner-occupied U.S. homes are owned by residents age 60 or older and 55% by age 50 and older. So this could represent upwards of 20 million homes hitting the market through the mid 2030s. So just really over the next 15 years. So homes released by 2027 will comprise about one eighth of today's owner occupied housing stock. Meaning the housing the, the housing stock that's coming on market, 12% of that will be just baby boomers passing away or moving in with family members or maybe moving into a retirement home. But by 2037, that'll double to 27.4%. So over a quarter of homes that are hitting the market, 
Now, I'm not talking about, you know, that this includes new homes, right? And homes that are just being built by maybe individuals. But 27% at that time will come from these baby boomers who are passing away. So there's going to be a large influx. Now, it's going to affect different regions differently. The ones that will be affected the most, Miami, Orlando, Tampa, Tucson, retirement destinations today. So there's going to be an influx of supply of homes in those areas. Even areas like Cleveland, Dayton, Knoxville, Pittsburgh. What they've seen is a lot of the younger people have moved to other regions of the country. I know people from both a few of those that have moved here to California. And what's that left is that a higher percentage of those homes in those regions are owned by older people and not younger people. Now, what areas are going to be most immune to this? Salt Lake City, for example, fewer than one in five households in Salt Lake City are owned by people that are 55 or older compared to 28% nationwide. Areas like Atlanta, Austin, Dallas, Houston, these are fast-growing, relatively affordable areas, and their population is relatively young. There's going to be other regions that are kind of de facto retirement communities. I know here, Palm Springs, which is east of kind of Orange County, San Diego, LA, that's a property retirement community. That will be affected because a lot of those people will pass away. The Hamptons, Long Island, New York, Cape Cod, which is southeast of Boston, those areas that are typically second home retirement communities tend to be very more expensive. Those will be affected as well. Even Upper East Side, Manhattan, Lafayette, Walnut Creek, those second home areas that are very expensive, those uh, are, are going to be areas that are going to be affected by this as well because they're not as affordable for the young. Now, from 2007 to 2017, roughly 730,000 U.S. homes were released into the market each year by people that pass away, move into retirement homes, etc. From 2017 to 2027, that's going to be 920,000. And from 2027 to 2037, that's going to be 1.17 million. So there's going to be a lot of these homes that are hitting the market. And so you have to understand this kind of longer term trajectory. If you're going to invest in real estate, you need to understand how the silver tsunami is going to affect the markets that you're either living in or investing in. Now, if we move quickly, we can squeeze in another caller question at 888-99-CHART. Hey, Stephen, Justin. This is Joseph from Louisville. Um, definitely understood from the past you have mentioned small cap value funds as a way to go in long-term higher rate of return on investment if you can deal with the volatility. So I've been doing some research and I was looking at funds like VBR, Victor Bravo Romeo, which is a Vanguard small cap value ETF. But I'm noticing within the market capitalization, there's a lot of mid cap exposure, which was confusing. And ultimately as well too, I was just wanting to get your take on should someone go after more pure small cap exposure or is VBR still a valid choice? Also as well, I was curious about which following index or benchmark index for small cap is the best to follow regarding the Russell 2000, the CRSP US small cap value index, and the US small cap 600 value index. Thanks a lot, and have a good day. 
This is a great question, especially now in a time where everyone's indexing and there's a lot of money going into these these uh, ETFs, especially the more popular ETFs, and Vanguard is certainly one of them, because this VBR is what he was asking about. Let me look at the total assets is $14.2 billion in this one ETF. Now, the reason you're seeing some mid-caps in that ETF uh, is simply because there aren't enough small names. Now, small is kind of relative. You know, the, does you go from small to mid at a billion dollars in market cap? Is it two billion? Is it five billion? Is it ten billion? Where is that? It's kind of opaque and really up to interpretation. But do you get this bloat in a lot of these funds where, hey, I can't buy any more of this stock, right? I can't because uh, it's getting a much bigger part of my portfolio. Right, so you you bleed into mid caps. Some of them have even grown into mid caps, right? You they were initially invested in at three hundred million dollars, and they now their market cap has grown to two point five, and now it's considered a mid cap stock, right? So that's why a lot of times you'll you'll get a little bleed into that that mid cap, and it's not the end of the world. I don't think I don't think you should freak out about it. Now, which index you should look at? Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the differences, so I don't want to give you any false information. I'd really need to sit down and look at the differences and the makeup and you know how many stocks are in each different index. Um, but um, you know, maybe shoot me an email, give me some more details on each one, and I can give you kind of a sense of what the pros and cons, because there's always pros and cons. Not to say which is the best. One's probably going to be more risky than the other. One's going to have a, a, a skew to the small cap more versus the mid cap, etc. But shoot me an email, give me some details, and I can maybe try to talk that out with you. Let's go to Tarek, Tariq in Boston looking at Kirkland Lake, which is a gold miner. Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I have the Kirkland Lake Gold in my IRA account, and uh, I'm not sure if you guys are following the stock, but took quite a hit today. It dropped around 17% after they acquired another company and uh, I was wondering if you think uh, it's just a, because I have a very long-term um, uh, timeline on this one you know uh, for retirement so it is something you know to consider getting rid of uh, given what happened today or should I just hang on to it for the long term uh, I would definitely have to look into the the acquisition and whether they overpaid do you remember the name of the company that they bought yeah let me look it up one more um, I remember hearing about it, but I don't remember the name of it exactly. But I would need to look at the details yeah. of that, yeah, how much they paid, whether they overpaid or not. But either way, like, uh, no uh, but going back to, you, to your earlier comment, apparently that's what um, the market felt or the shareholders felt, that basically they overpaid for whatever the cost of the acquisition was, hence the big drop that we saw today. And I use uh, MarketSmith that you guys use, and I have something called the Smart Alert setup, which I, I believe you guys are familiar with. And I noticed um, I got an alert today of a 50-day uh, of a drop and a significant drop in volume below the 50-day moving average. So that kind of alarmed me, which is the main reason I'm calling. Yeah, I I see this near kind of longer term support. I I would use more of the weekly uh, fifty week moving average, which is right around the thirty nine dollar a level or so, because that's where you found support back in July and October of last year, and it's been pretty uh, pretty pretty strong support. Now, 
on these news events like this, you typically get a three-day kind of settlement. It takes about three days for the market to kind of digest the news and do some analysis, etc. So I would definitely wait three days, see how the market uh, fully reacts to this. Uh, but I, you know, the, the they've done very well in growing their earnings and and reducing costs of mining, etc. So their management team. Uh, from what I've seen, is is pretty good, and I actually would you my, my sense is that I would use this as a buying opportunity, not an opportunity, not 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 a reason to sell. Uh, and so that's the way I would go. I would need to analyze this a little bit more, and I'll probably be doing that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but I, I would prop my gut says this is more of a buying opportunity than a reason to sell. Thanks for the call, Tariq. Let's go to Ken in Tracy, looking at AMRN, which I believe is a biotech firm. Yep, Irish developer of novel drugs for the treatment of cardiovascular disease within the field of lipid science. Do you know what that means exactly, Ken? Yeah, uh, no, not really. It's just I, I know they're developing stuff for cardio, cardiovascular uh, stuff on that, so... And okay. Are you own it? You looking to buy it or what? Yeah, yeah. I currently own a couple hundred shares, and I'm looking to invest some more. And I'm just wondering if you know what what your thoughts are about the company and their future. Well, their futures so far is starting to accelerate. A year ago, revenues were only going 17, percent or they were losing money. Now, the last couple quarters, they finally started to make a profit. Made a penny last quarter, two pennies the quarter before. Revenue up 103% year over year last quarter. Pretty strong, very minimal debt, I like that. Uh, and uh, it's all about the effectiveness and the application size of their drugs. Uh, I'm not familiar with their drugs. I would need to do more research, so it's hard for me to say that this is potential to be a Hundred billion dollar company. It's already valued at seven point five billion, which is pretty hefty when you have revenue of last quarter only a hundred million dollars. You know, you say you even quadruple that over the next four or five years, and you know that's still a seven and a half times revenue, which is pretty expensive. And you know, they just started to make money, uh, so it's such an opaque future. Now, technically. This has been consolidating after the breakout. I'm assuming there was some great news back in July when this broke out from $4, $3, all the way to a high of 24 recently. Now we're at 21. It's in a nice consolidation phase, and that's as good as I can really tell you technically uh, that, that, that that's the best indicator right now. Um, so you're, it's a biotech name. It's a gamble, um, but I would like I like the technical setup. I like the growth. But I would have a maybe 10 to 15% stop on this, but it could have some big upside. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. We're going into our last segment. So give me a call at 888 chart On the next Invest Talk, one prominent Wall Street analyst is predicting that. 2020 could see retail investors shifting away from buying bonds to equity funds. That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Now let's... 
touch on a recent proposal by the founder of the World Wide Web, Jim Ber- Berners-Lee. That's Jim Berners-Lee. And he has released an ambitious rule book around online govern- governance. And I think this is really interesting. You can actually go to their website, contractfortheweb.org is where you go. And it has nine principles. I'll read them off. And three are government focused and they are ensure everyone can connect to the internet. And you see this a lot with China and a lot of other countries who are trying to restrict what you can see on the internet. So ensure everyone can connect to the inter- internet. Keep all the internet available all the time and respect and protect people's fundamental online privacy and data rights. So that's those are the rules for governments. Now, what are the rules for companies? First, make the internet affordable and accessible to everyone. Respect and protect people's privacy and personal data to build online trust. And then develop technologies that support the best in humanity and challenge the worst. That's a little opaque, so that's might be a little tough, but those are the rules around Companies and then citizens be creators and collaborators on the web, build strong communities that respect civil discourse and human dignity, and then fight for the web. So those are the principles that govern each of the three. And this hits home at really the Facebooks and Googles of the world who have hijacked our data in a lot of ways to create algorithms that manipulate our behavior, that are able to hit the sensation parts of our brain that trigger us to make purchases and take different actions that are in the best interest for them and their advertisers, right? And so this proposal is a framework that hopefully will protect online privacy and personal data that are clearly defined by national laws. It'll give people greater control over the data that is collected about them. And so this is just the next step, I think, in individuals being able to own and control how the internet operates around them. It interacts with them. And certainly, even even, uh, the founder of this organization said that Google and Facebook and all the big companies should have a say in this and be at the table. But I think this is definitely the start of some broader regulation around these companies and will change their fundamental business models. Now, I think we can fit one more caller question now at 888-99-CHART. Hey, guys. It's Adam from Los Angeles. Hey, I'm really excited about China's prospects. I think in the next 10 years, they have a lot more potential than the U.S. markets. I was looking at an ETF called FXI. And I was looking to get in at 41 and a half because it looks like it has some support there. I was wondering what you guys think. Love the show. Thank you so much. This is the iShares China large cap ETF, FXI. And you're right, there is uh, some support around that 41 and a half area. And you saw that bounce off that today, now to 4201. Um, but I can, I kind of disagree with you on China. I think that the best growth and prospects for China being great are behind it. I think they've launched themselves into a lot of geopolitical crises with Hong Kong, with the China 2025, which has really provoked 
the United States in stepping up and and fighting against the things that uh, that China twenty twenty five basically mandates, which is intellectual property theft, uh, forcing companies, uh, foreign companies to partner with China companies in order to gain access to trade secrets, etc., in order to gain access to that Chinese market. Uh, and I see the NBA example as a step too far, right? Where they really gave a lot of backlash to the NBA for simply expressing their opinion, right? One of the employees of the NBA expressing their opinion. And I think this is a trend that's going to continue and it's actually going to hinder China's growth long-term. And I see big problems in the future with China versus actual excitement about their their prospects because I uh, just uh, I think they're heading the wrong direction politically. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley returns tomorrow, and Thursday is Thanksgiving, so I won't be hosting again until next week. But enjoy the holiday, and please remember you can access our free Invest Talk podcast downloads at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Be sure to listen, review, and rate it. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 